Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Nicomachean Ethics Book 7, Aristotle discusses, in addition to vice and unrestraint or lack of self-control, that is acrasia, he also discusses another state of a person's character or personality that in Greek is called theriotes, um, and this can be translated as brutality or as bestiality, although bestiality has some unfortunate other connotations that, that might distract a person, but it's coming from the word theater, which means animal or beast. So brutality or bestiality, it's saying that the person has become like one of the non-human lower animals. Aristotle is also going to talk about morbid dispositions, more or less synonymously. He does make some important distinctions between morbid dispositions and straight-out brutality, but then they kind of get brought back together, and I think in some respects, he's not so concerned with whether something is directly this or directly that. He's interested in the category as such. And like I put here, this is something distinct from moral vice, and we'll see why in just a moment, and it's also distinct from a lack of self-control. Where it fundamentally differs from both of those is that, as Aristotle says, that the highest part of the human being, which we don't always listen to, that's that's the case in lack of restraint or lack of self-control, we know what the good is and, and we don't do it, right? And some of us may be acratic generally, you know, we, we typically don't do what we, we know we're supposed to do, but we're not yet vicious, right? So we're bothered by it. Some of us may be acratic in certain circumstances, under certain temptations. And then, you know, on the other side, there's being self-controlled and, and being virtuous. Being vicious is a matter of something that is within a person's control. doesn't mean that they can control themselves at every moment, but it does mean that that person is doing things voluntarily. They have managed to damage within themselves, you might say, their moral compass, their higher part, their faculty that tells them what is actually indeed right or wrong, good or bad for human beings and for themselves, but they still do have some sort of moral principle that they're operating according to. It's just a a bad one, right? This is developed through habit, Aristotle says, and through how we choose to do things. The person who is actually brutal or suffering from a morbid disposition, that part of the human being has been put out of commission. It's not there. Like he says, there could be a loss of it or some sort of damage that has taken place. Could be partial damage, could be entire damage, could be lacking. It could have never been there in the first place. And this is, Aristotle says, you know, the rational, intellectual part of the human being. Something that is seen in in many other discussions in, you know, for example, Nicomachean Ethics Book 6 and Book 7 and also in Book 2 is really going to be necessary for us to be good morally in the sense of being virtuous or even in the sense of being self-controlled. So this part has been wrecked, you might say, or put out of commission. Aristotle will actually say that this is not as morally bad as vice. 
So it sounds like he's in a certain sense giving the, these people a pass, and he's not holding them morally responsible for the sorts of things that they do, as he would indeed a vicious person who you may say, well, they, they can't really control. There's all sorts of nice arguments about that in book three, about what degree vice is, is something that is actually voluntary. When it comes to the brutal person or the person suffering from a morbid disposition, though, Aristotle says that they're actually more horrible in the sense that we would feel horror at their condition, or we might feel horror about what they might in fact do or have done. He calls them phobolteron, which means more fear-inspiring, more fearful. So there is a kind of badness there, but it's not the same thing as the moral badness involved in vice. It's still not goodness. He's still not saying that these people are, you know, just to be treated as the same as everybody else. As a matter of fact, it would be extremely imprudent to do so. But he is dissociating this from the, the normal sphere of moral concerns. Before we go into how this happens, let's look at some of the examples that he actually gives here. He says that some of these would be the creature in woman's form that's said to rip up pregnant females and devour their offspring. So what we're talking about there are these kind of fictional, scary, storybook characters. Aristotle considers that to be lower in a certain respect than vice. What else? Certain savage tribes on the coasts of the Black Sea, that was sort of barbarians par excellence for them, who are alleged to delight in raw meat or in human flesh. Cannibalism. Others among whom which each in turn provides a child for the common banquet. Or the reported depravity of Phalaris. There's a Greek person who is, you know, pretty horrible. He creates a bull in which you put people and then you heat up the, the brazen bull. And their screams of agony as they're roasted alive are turned by means of some musical instruments into sort of a piping sound that the bull makes. That's pretty horrible. That is pretty fear-inspiring. And when you ask why people like that do what they do, you know, you could attribute it to vice, but you might say, look, they're like beyond the, the pale. They are just horrible, horrible people and there's something fundamentally wrong with them, if you were to sit down with them, they might be able to engage in some intellectual discussion or some argument, but they probably won't be able to really grasp what is actually wrong with them as such, somebody like Aristotle would say about this. What are some other examples? He talks about the madman that offered up his mother to the gods and partook of the sacrifice. That means he ate some of the sacrifice. Plucking out the hair, people who, you know, pull their hair out, biting the nails, eating cinders, and earth, something that we're, we're familiar with, because it happens sometimes in the American South due to, as they theorize, some sort of mineral deficiency, perhaps combined with some psychological mechanisms. And then he mentions sexual perversion, which, which could mean a whole bunch of different things. He also talks a little bit later on about several other examples. People who are not unrestrained, but vicious with respect to certain behaviors, if it goes super, super far, then they can become brutal in this sense. He talks about the person who is frightened of everything, the phobic person. Not just phobic of one thing, but everything. We might think of some mental disorders as falling into this case as well. People who are incredibly phobic of a range of things that keep them from being able to have a normal life, or even relatively normal life. 
People who are foolish by nature, you know, irrational by nature, living solely by sensation, like certain remote tribes of barbarians, as he says. People who lose their reason due to some sort of disease. He talks about epileptics, for example, something we still don't fully understand, but they certainly understood much less back in his time. So this is a very large class of possible types of behavior. And like he says, it involves having desires and pleasures for things that are not naturally pleasant and aren't, you could also add to this, they aren't within the range of the things that most people are working with. If somebody is greedy, for example, that's a vice, right? And we can understand that because we can say, well, wealth is attractive because you can do stuff with it. But, you know, when you're pulling out your hair and you ask the person, why are you pulling out your hair? And you get some incoherent answer. It's probably a matter of this. And Aristotle says it's about pleasure, but it could also be to avoid pain or it could be to to do other things as well, perhaps a motivation by fear or anxiety. If we go on and we look at how this actually happens, he doesn't give us any sort of, you know, deep explanation in terms of the mechanics of the human psyche, but he does tell us about what could be going on. So one thing he talks about is a lack of development, or another way of translating this is mutilation, uh, pyrosis. It's also a word that is used in some contexts for blindness. So there could be something going on where a person is, is just damaged in that way. It can also be developed by certain habits, doing these things over and over again, to where the habit itself becomes an absolute compulsion or addiction, and essentially, instead of being a habit that the person has, the person is something that the habit has. Natural depravity he talks about as well, uh, but doesn't go that far into it. This would be perhaps some sort of birth defect, something wrong that way. Then he also does talk about disease, gnosis, some physical ailment that produces particular effects. Perhaps, you know, if, if a person became totally lethargic because they're actually suffering from some sort of virus that saps all of their energy, that could fit into this, right? Insanity. He talks about mania, the noose, right, of the mind, uh, insanity of the mind. Habitual abuse he also talks about. And the word that's used there, hubrizo menois, he's talking about those who have been abused. And he talks about them in some cases having been abused since childhood. We could think about the role of certain types of childhood abuse for some of the people that experience that as placing them in this kind of state. We want to be extremely careful about just saying, well, anybody who suffered abuse is automatically in this state because they're not. There are many people who have horrible abuse and go on to become virtuous people. It's difficult. This could be something that they have to overcome, could cause a lot of impediments that somebody who had a much happier upbringing, who had, you know, helpers along the way, doesn't have to incur. But the fact that some people come out of horrific situations and aren't automatically in this sort of condition should give us a bit of pause in globally attributing it to anybody who has something like that going on. Excessive vices, we talked about that. Aristotle gives you some examples of this. He says that those who are experiencing folly, cowardice, lack of self-restraint or self-indulgence with respect to certain appetites, ill temper, you know, anger in some ways, whenever they run to excess, and remember, we're not just talking about regular excess, we're talking about super excess, these become either bestial or morbid conditions. So, you know, Aristotle doesn't think that you can just, if you're vicious, you just, you're, at least you're not going to be bestial. You can actually go off the deep end from being so vicious. 
in those respects, then you become bestial. He uses the example of the coward who is afraid of everything. He uses the example of the, the person who just is lacking any sort of intelligence at all. He's also talking about people who indulge in sexual behavior and pleasures to such a degree that they lose sight of everything else. And that could also include the, the pleasures of eating and drinking or of intoxicants. And we can think about anger. Anger can go so far that a person can become literally so rageful that they cannot control it anymore. And so this is an interesting topic in part because it shows us that there's a lot more depth and dimension to Aristotle's ethics than just simply thinking about vice and virtue. This is, you might say, moving in a different plane than vice or virtue, but it is a very important moral category for us to think about nonetheless. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.